0: Hey what's up everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis,
1: and you're listening to The For The Culture
0: podcast.
1: This is the For The Culture podcast. I'm your host Luke Diamond with my man Jason Spears. 4530 the Colts defeat the New York Jets on Thursday night football. I apologize for the belated podcast upload. It's Sunday, which is technically the normal day a week we normally put these up Sunday night, but we played on Thursday. I'm in Dallas, had family obligations, and then it's been one thing after another. Today, finally Sunday morning, able to record with my man Jason Spear. So 45-30, the Colts defeat the New York Jets. The defense took their foot off the gas, off the brake, I should say, or off the gas, off the brake, off whatever. It's like they just jumped out of the car in the second half of this game. We gave up 30 points to Josh Johnson. Not a fan of that, but offensively, fantastic in this one. 45 points. We scored our first five or six possessions of the entire game in the first half, four for four, and we were balanced. And Jason, we've been begging Frank Reich to be balanced all season. He was balanced in this game. And what's the result? The result was 45 points. If you play a better opponent, it's probably not 45 points, but you're still going to score 32-plus against a good team when you're this balanced. If we played like this and we were balanced like this last week, I'm going to give Frank Reich all the credit in the world for this performance. But if you take it a week back to Tennessee, we win that game if we're more balanced. If it's a closer to 50-50 run pass split. And if it is... We win that game, and right now, we would be the team to beat, in my opinion, in the AFC South. Henry goes down, the Titans have some tough games coming up, they have the Rams today, depending on when we upload this podcast, so that's still an open wound for me. That's a tough loss, that loss is going to carry us throughout the rest of the season, and it's going to be looming over us, but in this one, Frank Reich did learn from previous mistakes, they've been repetitive mistakes, and inconsistency has been a huge problem so let's see if we slide back to the heavy pass to run ratio but in this game at halftime it was 18 passes to 17 rushes and we had 28 points off four possessions at the half game finishes with a 30-30 split 30 passes 30 runs 45 points on the board and that's what we've been begging for jason we've wanted a balanced offense between the run and the pass we got it in this game and the scoreboard reflects that no question.
0: And and when anytime you score four straight touchdowns to start the game, I don't care if it's against the Jets or who it's against. That's impressive. I think the key for us going forward with this offense, and we've stated this millions of times on this show, but the more balanced the Colts are, the better Carson Wentz plays. The less balanced they are, the worse he plays. So this game was 30-30, and I thought it was one of his best games. So that's going forward, the key to beating, you know, those five really tough games that we still have left with, you know, Arizona, Buffalo, New England, Tampa, and the Raiders, the key to winning three of those games, because that's what we're going to have to do to have a shot at this thing, is being able to run the ball and not put too much on Carson's plate. When too much is on Carson's plate, i.e. both Tennessee games, 51 throws and one, and then the other game, I forget what the spread was, but it was bad. You know, those were the two worst games of the season. It's because the, the ba- there was no balance. You abandon the run, and Carson is not as good when everything is on his shoulders. That's been proven out in, in his career. And this game, they ran all over the Jets. They threw all over the Jets. I mean, the Jets' defense is terrible. There's no getting around that. But the Colts were playing at such a high level for most of this game. I think they went up 42-10, to and then they kind of just coasted. I I didn't really like the way the Colts finished this game. They kept throwing. I thought they should run and eat the clock, especially when the defense was struggling so bad at the end of this game. But that's nitpicking. At the end of the day, you drop 45 points, and you win by 15. As far as offensively, you drop 45 points, no turnovers. You run for over 250 yards, and you throw for over 250 yards, and you have no penalties. That's pretty friggin' impressive. In fact, I think that's the first time that's happened since the merger. So a, a, just an exceptional job by the Colts offensive line, the coaches, the players, everybody. Just an outstanding job, in and in a win we had to have. I don't care how bad the Jets are. They've beaten two good teams. We have beaten none. So you had to come out there and play. You're not just going to roll your helmet out there and win. And, yes, they were playing a third-string quarterback and all that other stuff. We've lost to backups before. So to find a way to win, that's the most important thing and the biggest thing I'll take out of this game.
1: Absolutely. And the way the defense play, especially in the second half against that third string quarterback was bad enough to lose if the offense doesn't put up a 45 spot on the New York Jets. But before we get to the defense, one more thing I want to say, because obviously we've been critical of Frank Reich and I feel like we've had the right to be critical of Frank Reich. We've been a terrible red zone offense. We've been terrible goal to go situations. We haven't been balanced in our biggest spots of the year. We have been super heavy on the pass to the run you look at the two matchups against the titans and you gave the number last week it was something ridiculous it was like a 70 to 30 ratio and that just can't be the case against a good team like the titans especially a good team in the titans who in those two matchups had derrick henry and they were giving their workhorse 25 plus carries a game we have an equal to almost kind of guy in the backfield jonathan taylor and he proved it in this game against the Jets. And we're not giving him as many carries. We're giving him 16 to Henry's 28. So we've been critical of Frank Reich. We have talked about firing Frank Reich. Is he the guy who could get us to a Super Bowl? Could we win a Super Bowl with Frank Reich? And a lot of people, Jason, were mocking us and mocking other Cole fans who said fire Frank Reich or were criticizing Reich through the first eight games of the season and mocking us because he scored 45 points So the offense put up 45 points in this game. Now, the crazy thing to me is Frank Reich coached a game and put together a game plan and executed a game plan in this game. That was exactly what we've been calling for. If Reich was balanced every week, we never would be talking about firing Frank Reich. We would never question if he was the right guy to lead us to the promised land. Everything's been about the lack of balance, getting too cute, and all the things we've complained about. That wasn't the case in this game. But I just keep going back to... Colt fans mocking us and people who have been critical of Frank Reich for not being balanced. They were defending him in all the games where we weren't balanced and the offense looked like crap. And now they're the ones saying C, 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 C. No, we're the ones that should be saying C because he did what we've been begging him to do, which is to be balanced. So I just find it extremely, it's pretty ironic and funny actually that, the roles have been reversed. It's never been about Frank Reich. People have to remember this. It's never been about Reich. It's never been personal. We like Reich, like him as a person, think he's talented. And every time we criticize him, I always say the most frustrating part about this is I know he's better than this. It's not Pagano where the guy was just a buffoon and he had no capability to be a better coach. Frank Reich has the capability to be a very good coach in this league, but he keeps getting in his own way. But if he could just get out of his own way and be balanced and do the things he did in this game, sure, he could be a good coach or a great coach in the National Football League. It's never been personal. People think it's personal. Like, you have to pick a side. It has to be Fluesa. It has to be Reich. It has to be – Like, you don't have to pick a side. You could be honest and you could evaluate what you're seeing. We've always done that, Jason. And if Reich is like this every game, he'll be a very good coach in the National Football League. We've been begging for balance, and in this game, we got balance. So, to the people who – Are big-time Frank Reich fans, for them to say CCCCC and mocking people who wanted to maybe fire Frank Reich or still want to fire Frank Reich, well, at the end of the day, this is the guy we've been begging him to be. And in this one particular game, hopefully it carries over now to Jacksonville, a team we have struggled with over the last few years, Hopefully it carries over, but in this game specifically, Frank Reich was the guy we've always wanted Frank Reich to be, a balanced coach. We were balanced, 30 passes, 30 runs, 45 points. That's all we've ever wanted. I mean, for me, my issues with him stem from two games.
0: The two sprains game where he threw it 41 times and ran Taylor 10, and the second game when he threw it 51 times and ran him 16. Added up, we ran the ball, I think, about 30 times, and we threw it 93. I, I nobody can <laughs> no. I don't care how much you love Wentz or Reich or whatever, that is not an arguable ratio. I'm sorry. It's just not. 90. It's not like we're playing with Peyton Manning. We're playing with Carson Wentz, and our best player is our running back. So I think the the uh our issues with him are are fair. They're definitely fair because the two most important games of this year, he's gotten out coached badly and just done asinine things and he doubled down in the second game he did exactly the same thing that he did in the first game but more yep so i think it's a fair criticism but as far as this game goes he was outstanding i mean he got naheem involved he got jonathan taylor involved they got Pittman involved they got mo the ball they got pascal the ball um even doyle and even danny penner so i mean (laughs) i mean it was they they i thought this was his best called game they took advantage of all the weaknesses in the jets defense and just did an outstanding job the, the the from the coaching staff on down the offensive line was great no penalties just smart smart call play calls uh, efficient play calls and at the end of the day when i've gone through and looked at the statistics of of the spread in each game whether it's the seattle game or the rams game in every game that we've been close to 50-50 The closer we are to 50-50, the better this team plays. Now, I don't think you have to be 50-50. It's not 1975. But 60-40 is a good spread. And when we've been around that 60-40 to 50-50 ratio, our offense has been better. And I think that's what we need to do going forward. And to have a chance, like I mentioned earlier, to win those few of those five – well, three of those five that we play that are tough games – you're going to have that's the way that's the way you're going to have to run the ball and then off of that run play action and and i mean guys are running wide open over the middle that'll happen against a, a lot of defenses if you just stay patient with the run and i thought he did it in this game he hasn't done that a lot but he did he did with the jets and and the proof is in the way they played and they just absolutely just went up and down the field and it was impressive to watch
1: no question. And we keep saying 30-30. There were five quarterback runs, which are usually broken plays, except the Ellinger play, which was designed. But it's really, I guess if you just talk about Taylor and Hines, it's 30-25. to So it's not even exactly 50-50, but it's a hell of a lot closer than 51-16 to or 17 like it was last week. And Taylor only had 16, and Hines had one or two. So this was much, much better. The players obviously executed it. Yes, you're going up against a bad team, and that's a big thing. Eventually, we have to beat a good team. Troy Aikman said it perfectly in the fourth quarter. The Colts have done what they're supposed to do against the bad teams. They're now 4-1 against bad teams, but they're 0-4 against teams that are above 500. And if Russell Wilson, because he's went down, that's the only reason they're under 500. If Wilson doesn't play the first week, we probably win. If he never gets hurt, they're over 500. So when you look at the good team to bad teams, we are basically... 4-0 4-0 against teams under 500 and 0-5 against teams above five hundred. because we played a above five hundred Seattle team when we played them because Russell Wilson was healthy. So teams that are playoff caliber, we haven't been able to beat. We've competed with them, but we haven't been able to beat them. And that has to change. Like, I'm all about you play who's in front of you. So when we talk about Colts-Jets, we can only talk about the Colts versus the Jets. We can't talk about Tennessee or we can't talk about the Rams, or other teams we've lost to this season because on Thursday night, Reich, Wentz, Taylor, this team was only looking at and only playing up against the New York Jets. So they did what they're supposed to do. But you do need to prove that you could do this when Buffalo's coming up on the schedule, when the Bucks are coming up on the schedule, when the Cardinals are coming up on the schedule. You have to eventually beat one of those teams. We have five losses. Six might get you in. If you lose seven games, eight games, if you go... and three against those three teams obviously you're not making the playoffs if you go one and two against those three teams you're probably not making the playoffs so you need to eventually beat a good team especially in year four of reich and five of ballard we shouldn't just be content with only beating bad teams But in this game, you're going up against a bad team and you have to take care of business. And it's a bad team coming off a pretty good win against the Cincinnati Bengals. They also beat the Titans, who were 0-2 against. So this is a bad Jets team. They're 30th or they entered this game, 30th in offense, 30th in defense. But it's your job to go out there and beat them as we did. And take a look at some of the numbers, Jason. As you said, Carson Wentz is so much better when we take... A little bit off his plate when it's more balanced not only is it good for the team because Jonathan Taylor is insanely good but also because it's easier for Wentz to execute and to do his job when his job is in overload so he throws 30 passes 22 for 30 272 yards three touchdowns no picks a really good game for Carson Wentz and then Jonathan Taylor on the ground along with Naheem Hines Taylor, 19 carries, 172 yards, two touchdowns. It's his third game. He's only played, I think, 24, 25 games as a Colt. It's already his third game of 150-plus rushing yards and two-plus rushing touchdowns. Edger James, in 96 games as a Colt, only did it twice. Taylor, in a quarter of those games, has already done it three times more than James, more than Folk, more than Dickerson, more than anybody who put on the Colt uniform as a Baltimore Colt, so Taylor already Historically, one of the best running backs in Colts franchise history in his young career. Naheem Hines, six carries, 74 yards, and opened the scoring with that 34-yard touchdown. Pittman, again, finding the end zone. He's incredible. He's just getting better and better and better every week. I thought Pascal had a big game, and we really spread the ball around. Taylor, Hines, Pittman, all the guys getting a touch, all the guys getting involved. Our top three playmakers, in my opinion, Hines, Taylor, and Pittman, the three guys finding the end zone a total of four times, and that's what you like to see. Jonathan Taylor, man, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Taylor. Now that Henry goes down, in my opinion, without a doubt the best running back in the National Football League, and he's seemingly getting better and better every week. That 78-yard touchdown run, and credit the run blocking in this game, but... There wasn't much room for him to navigate on that 78-yard touchdown run, and he broke it like he was still at Wisconsin playing a lesser opponent, playing like a FCS school. And the way he broke that through, and there was a couple guys with angles to make tackles, and they did not just make tackles. They didn't even touch him, Jason, on the foot race to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor's special,
0: man. It's, it's so fun to watch him play. It's why I've advocated getting him the ball as much as possible because he's on a rookie deal. He's clearly, I mean, just our best player. There's no getting around it as far as skill players go. Him and Pittman are far and away our best skill players, and he's electric. I mean, like I always say, it's only a matter of time with him. Like, you can give him the ball six, seven, eight times, and he could have 30 yards, and then the ninth carry goes for 80 yards. I mean, and we've seen it before, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter – Everybody's like, well, he stacked the box. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter with him. Uh, Because with with a stacked box, and this is what I try to tell people, everyone is within a certain amount of distance
1: of the line of scrimmage. So if you get through that first wave, there's nobody on the back end. That's true. Well, Jason, look at Henry's stat line against Seattle this year. He did nothing in the first half and in the second, but they didn't abandon it in the first half they kept giving him the ball he was getting stuffed he ends the game with like over 200 yards and i think three touchdowns the game goes to overtime and they make this crazy comeback and they were trailing in the game so obviously the clock's a factor they keep pounding him in the second half he goes up over i think 200 rushing yards and i think three touchdowns in that game because when you're that good not only are you tough to stop but it's wearing you wear down a defense and taylor is a very similar type of back in that sense where he's not like, Hines isn't going to wear you down. He'll be shifty and he'll make you miss. But Taylor, it hurts to tackle Jonathan Taylor if you're able to get him to the ground. And it probably hurts even more if you're not able to get him to the ground.
0: Yeah, and the funny thing about that Tennessee game that that you mentioned against Seattle was they were down 30-16, to 16 and it was in the fourth quarter. Yep. And it was one play, and he took it 80 yards, and that changed the game. And that can it, Taylor can do the same exact thing but Frank has to be a little bit patient. I'm not asking him to give him the, the ball 25 times here, but he's got to be a little bit more patient going down the stretch of the season. Obviously in this game, the results were immediate and, and they were big. So, you know, there, there was no, he didn't have to be patient. He was getting results on every run, but yeah, Jonathan Taylor was exceptional in this game. Naheem was really good, but we have to talk about the offensive line. I mean, some of those holes were gigantic and, and, you know, and he doesn't and – J- and JT doesn't need, like, a big hole to get through it. You know what I mean? He doesn't need a big hole to to uh, to make something happen. But there were, uh, you know, enormous holes in this game. I thought the offensive line dominated the Jets' front. The Jets have some good players up front. Williams, Myers, some of those guys, those young players, are very good and very stout up front. And they just absolutely mauled their, their, their front four. And you just did an absolutely outstanding job. So I want to give some kudos to the offensive line. They've been playing really well. They're they're at their best when they get downhill, when they're when they're running downhill, and they're leaning on teams. This is a team that, in the Colts, that really really are great at run blocking. When you bring in Pryor, Braden Smith goes down. Pryor is a, a mauler as far as you know. He he's really good in the run game. You see Chris Reed getting to the second level, taking out you know C J Mosley. The Colts offensive line is is so good at run blocking and it just baffles my mind sometimes, you know, when we go away from running because this team is very clearly a much better run blocking team than pass blocking. Now, to be fair to them, they've gotten a lot better with the pass blocking, but I mean, run the damn ball, you know, the hats and all that stuff. They need they need to keep they need to stick with it. Not not to the point where that's all they do and we turn it into 1975 football. But I think that's what they need to do initially in games to open up the passing game. And I think they did that in this game and made Carson's job much easier. He started the game, I think, 19 of 22, which is insanely accurate and efficient. And uh, and then late down the stretch, I know I mentioned this, but I I do want to say I thought they should have run more. I think I mentioned that earlier because the defense was just awful and clearly not on top of their game in any way. So I thought they, they should have probably run a little bit more late in the game. But again, we're nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. Um, as far as this game goes, offensively, it's it's hard to be very critical of anything because they were so good in every facet, whether it's running the ball, passing the ball, offensive line play. Even the blocking downfield with the receivers was was really, really good. So just an overall A-plus for performance from the coaching all the way down to the players they executed probably yeah the best they have all year. Oh absolutely. Uh, regardless regardless of who you play against too Luke it doesn't matter if you execute and do what you're supposed to do that's that's the important thing and obviously everybody's going to say it's the jets and that's fair but you still got to go out there and do it yep. and the Colts did and that's what you know that's what they had to do and they got it done.
1: And again this is a jets team that did beat the Bengals last week and they did beat the Tennessee Titans. They're not going to be consistently beating good teams because they're not a good team themselves, but they have showed up in flashes and we didn't let that happen to us short week. And we didn't let it happen to us. Jason, did we dress a third running back? I know Mac didn't dress. Did Dion Jackson or did anybody else dress in this game?
0: Wow. Good question. I did not check if if they did. I would guess they dress Jackson because he's a good spe- special teams player. Excuse me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I'm not positive on that. I didn't see him out there. I know he didn't return anything. So I'm not positive, but if they did dress someone and it was, and they did dress Jackson, it was
1: almost purely for special teams. Yeah, because I'm not sure about Jackson. I just know for a fact that Marlon Mack didn't dress. And the only reason I even bring it up is because I definitely would have liked to have run clock a little bit more, not to excuse the defense because it's still disgusting. You have to come out and you have to make plays and you have to stop a third-string XFL quarterback in the fourth quarter for sure. I don't care what the score is. You just – it was embarrassing, but we'll get to that. You're up 42-10. to 10. That's a 32-point lead if my math is correct, and it should be because that's about kindergarten-level math. So you're up 32 points, right? At that point in the game, right after the 78-yard touchdown, I was fine with taking Taylor out. Take him out of the game. Hines is not the type of guy you want to just constantly run into the line and run a clock out with because he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's extremely durable. I don't think he's ever knock on wood. I don't think he's ever missed a game since being drafted by the Colts in 2018, but he's not that type of back and you don't want to, he's also one of our top three playmakers offensively or top four playmakers, at least offensively. So between Taylor and Hans, I don't really want any guy up 32 points to be taking an unnecessary pounding as much as we've begged. Like this is the big difference when you're in a tight game, whether you're up seven down, seven tied up three, down three against the Titans, that's a must-win game against a divisional opponent who's up 2 games and you're in a must-win game. So, in that game, I want to run Taylor 30 times if we need to. 25 to 30 times if we need to. We run him 16 times. Against the Jets, he has his 18-19 carries. We're entering the fourth quarter. I don't need to see him carry the ball 30 times in that game. I much rather <clears throat> Excuse me. I much rather him carry the ball Those 18 or 19 times, stop there. Give them the fourth quarter off because even with the defense being abysmal in the fourth quarter, we're up 32 points. The game is over. The game's not in jeopardy. I know some people, despite how bad the defense was, some people said, oh, you know, if Mike White or if Wilson played, this is a different outcome. I don't believe that's the case. I thought this game was very comfortable. I thought we had this game well under control, but you don't need unnecessary wear and tear carries on your best player, which is Jonathan Taylor. So I was fine with them not giving him the ball. I'm also fine with them not giving Hines the ball, but you have to be prepared and you have to dress a running back, whether it's Jackson, whether it's Mack, but you have to have a running back who can run clock in a blowout if you want to run clock at the end of the game, because I don't want it to be Jonathan Taylor. So it's not a huge thing, no matter what somebody's going to have to be on the field, but I would like to see at least a third running back dress who's not specifically there for special teams for a situation like this so you don't have to put wear and tear on your top two guys or have Carson drop back and throw because, God forbid, Wentz gets hit and he gets injured dropping back up 32 points. You don't want to see that either. So I would like to have that third back, whether it's Mack or Jackson, whoever, back there so they could take that workload in a blowout game like this was.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that at the time, you know, you want to get all your your frontline guys out of the game and just run clock, and I was kind of confused by what was going on. I didn't understand why we are still throwing up by, you know, whatever we were up by. I was more – because at that point, when you're ahead by that much, it's about running clock uh, at more than it is about scoring, so I didn't really – I really didn't understand the end of that game. I didn't think either one, the offense or the defense finished great. You know, I think it just kind of started snowballing the wrong direction or whatever. But the defense definitely um, was much, much worse. I'm not saying that they're comparable. I just thought the way the Colts ended the game on both sides wasn't really what I had in mind. But. That's a great point, man. It's like you had Mac active for all these games, and you don't have him active for this one. I mean, you've been get, giving him random carries in big, to- big games where the game was still in the balance, and just <laughs> you know, taking Taylor out, and basically killing his momentum uh, as a running back, and giving these random carries to Mac but you don't have him active in this game. Like it, it, yeah, I, no. I don't. And, the tra- I didn't
1: and Jason also the trade deadline has passed. So you can't trade. This is the first day you can't trade him. He had zero carries the week before. So it's not like he was tired on a short week and couldn't perform. Like it was just like it made no sense. And that's a very tiny nitpick, but it's something at least to think about moving forward. There's bigger fish to fry. Like, defensively. Well,
0: it's not, hey, listen, it's not tiny if Jonathan Taylor gets in, No, absolutely in- not.
1: Absolutely not. But I'm just saying, like, we pointed it out, and it's definitely something that I hope they take into consideration moving forward. And it's not just Taylor, because they, they looked at Taylor the way we did. Let's not give him unnecessary carries here in the fourth quarter. So they took him out pretty much. I think he had one carry in the fourth quarter. Same with Hines. They didn't really pound Hines. But they were dropping back with Carson. So the injury that could have happened was probably Carson or a receiver or an offensive lineman. So I totally, I think it's super fair. I'm glad we brought it up because I wasn't even thinking about it coming into the podcast, but I'm glad we brought it up because it's definitely something that should be taken notice now moving forward, especially going into the game. You know the Jets suck, and you know there's a possibility that you blow them out. If you go into a game against a good team, maybe you don't expect that type of outcome in this game you should have expected it but defensively we have to get into the defense we've obviously been big fans and flus has come on the show and we like them and we support them and we support the defense and the defense up until last week was 11th in the league in points so they've taken a lot of unfair criticism well if you guys want to hear us rip fluce and rip the defense well here we're about to in a win because we score 45 points we win this game comfortably we win it by 15 points But you're going up against a backup to start the game in Mike White, who played very well against Cincinnati. He's good. I get it. But then he leaves the game at the end of the first quarter. In comes Josh Johnson, a XFL. I think he played in the AAF or the AFL or whatever that other expansion league was a couple years ago. So he plays in a couple of non-NFL, like semi-pro leagues. He's bounced around. He's been a practice squad journeyman quarterback throughout the course of his career. And you let him come into this game. Let me pull up the stat sheet and hope I don't vomit in my mouth when I look at this. Josh Johnson, 27 of 41, 317 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, a tip ball pick at the end of the game, which saved the Colts from a terrible backdoor cover because the Jets were about to make the backdoor cover of all backdoor covers. They were down by 32 points. They scored 20 points in the second half of this game and you let a third-string quarterback go up and down the field, we play far off the ball. We allow the dink and dunk. We allow them to basically tear us up. And I understand prevent, and you don't want to get hurt. Well, you're still out there. You're still playing. If anything, your defense played more snaps because you couldn't get off the field. So I'm not a – like, I understand prevent, but when prevent's not working, I think you need to change it because especially – like. Iberville wants to be a head coach in the National Football League, and you're going to let Josh Johnson go up and down the field against you. I know it's garbage time, but still, you have to have a little bit of pride. And were there guys in position to make plays? Yes. Is it Flus's fault they dropped interceptions? No. But like the lack of discipline, there was a third and 22. The Jets are backed up against their own end zone, and I think it was, I think it was Rogers had. A face mask. It's third and 22. Let them catch the ball. Tackle them. There's no excuse to grab a face mask in a situation like that. Multiple dropped interceptions. Pressure not getting to them tackle. I mean, it was just embarrassing. The lack of effort in the second half of this game from the Colts defense. You let a pair of backup quarterbacks throw for almost 400 yards. White and Johnson combined for 398 yards. So basically 100 passing yards per quarter. Four passing touchdowns in the tip ball interception at the end. We probably could have had three, four interceptions. Leonard did force a fumble. But you guys want us to rip, fluce, rip this defense because we never do. Even in... Losses, sometimes we don't rip the defense and we blame the offense. Well, here you go. A 15-point win, and the defense was atrocious in the second half of this game.
0: No excuses, man. From I mean, Flues, uh he's got to be better than this.
1: And that was, I mean, you, you can blame
0: the players, but it starts with the coordinator. And I really didn't understand some of the play calling down the stretch as far as everyone says he was improving Here's here's the thing. He he wasn't in pre He was he was mixing and matching his defensive coverages. But the problem was, we were playing mostly zone, and our corners were ten yards off the receiver. And you can't play like that. And my bigger issue with this team defensively is the safeties. Um, they're terrible. And everybody that wanted George Odom to play, you've now seen George Odom play. He sucks. We can't play him. The two guys that we picked up, Josh Jones, who's been a starter in this league, played for multiple teams and started. Jaleel Adai, another guy that started for the Chargers. Those guys, Floos has to work them into the lineup. He has to. They cannot beat anybody with these two safeties playing. They're bad. And, you know, Zave goes off the field with an injury. The defense, I don't know what in the hell was going on with them. They did not seem to want to be out there. Their effort was not good. But, again, all of that falls on the coordinator. It's like when we get on Reich, it's all his. I mean, he's the head coach, so he it falls in his lap. Well, when the defense plays like dog shit, it falls in Fluce's lap. Absolutely. And so hes he's got to figure it out. And I've said this, and I will say this until I'm in the ground. I don't care what people say or about, about him. I still believe he's a very good football coach, and I do believe he's going to get this figured out. But it's you have to remember, you cannot make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And a lot of the players he has in that secondary are not good. Xavier Rhodes looks washed. Our safeties are horrible, and there's no one behind them. So I'm I'm just saying, it's not just flus. It's everybody. The players have to have some damn pride and actually play hard instead of just looking at the score and saying, well, we're up 32, we can just do whatever. And basically that's what they did. They they lost focus, you know, and, and it can't happen. And it's disgusting that it did happen because this should be a game we won by by 20 points. It should not even have been close. There's no excuse for it. And it's everyone's fault. It's never one person. But at the end of the day, it stops with fluce It's his job to get the best out of these players. And that was just a disgraceful performance in the second half. I mean, just disgraceful. From an effort standpoint, from, from an execution standpoint, everything. It was bad all the way around. And one thing I do know is fluce is not happy, and he's going to work his ass off to get this fixed. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But I would expect you're going to see these, these veterans that the Colts picked up jones and and also a die play more going forward until kari comes back because remember kari is out until after the buffalo game so we're going to go to buffalo with zendejo and george odom as our safeties (laughs) we might give up 70 points in that game so i would expect to see some changes in the in the personnel he's he can only work with what he's been given But that was unacceptable, and I have no excuses for it. It it can't happen. They have to play better. He's got to coach better. It's got to be – I mean, that's just the bottom line. There is nothing really redeemable that I can take from that second half, especially the fourth quarter, other than the interception by Bobby Okereke. That was about the only thing they did in the second half of that game. And really, the fact that it even – that we're even talking about anything besides the offense when we recap recapping this game is kind of depressing to me, because I was never, I did not expect us to give up 30 points to a backup quarterback, and then I didn't expect us to give up 30 points to a third-string quarterback, and we did, we did that. So, yep. I mean, the 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 arguments and the and the bitching about flus and all that this week for sure is valid, oh, and yeah. I don't have any. I don't have any retort for it. He was bad. They were all bad. And they've got to be better if they if this te- if they want this team to they want to go to where they want
1: to get to, which is the playoffs. They've got it, there's just no excuses. It's got to be better. Yep. It's the same thing. Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, it's not personal with Frank Reich when we get on him. Same thing with Iberflus. I don't care that I interviewed him twice and we have a good Professional podcast coach relationship with him, and maybe he comes on the show again after the season. It's not going to stop me from criticizing him where criticism is warranted. It's his job to go out there and to coach the defense, and it's our job as podcast hosts to talk about what we see. So we're always going to be honest. It might not be the status quo. You might not agree with some of the compliments, you might not agree with some of the criticisms. And even with Reich, like you talk about the safeties and how bad that is, we gave Reich the benefit of the doubt when the tackles stunk. It was Poor, and so when and last year it was LaRaven Clark and Chaz Green. We gave him the benefit of the doubt in those situations. You do need to do certain things to help those guys, just like Fluz has to do certain things to help the backside because the safeties are so bad and because it looks like Rhodes is washed and there are certain things he needs to do to help minimize the I guess liability of those players but like the effort playing so far off the ball like there's certain things that are entirely his fault and yeah I didn't didn't, yeah Luke I wanted to say this I I didn't like the the way
0: he played down the stretch I I I don't like it when I understood what he was trying to do he was trying to keep everything in front of him and eat the clock but everything was going for 20 yards at some point you have to roll those corners up and get it and get physical with the receivers at the line of scrimmage and be aggressive yep. because otherwise they're going to do exactly what they did. They're going to go up and down the field. They're going to go up and down yep. the field, um, you know, on timing routes because, and I don't blame them. I thought the D line was good in this game. I don't blame them. They didn't have any time to get there because we were, we were 10, 15 yards off these receivers and he never did roll them up into coverage and get, you know, physical at the line of scrimmage. That's my biggest issue with yep. that. Against sometimes. the third-string quarterback. Exactly. Make him – if you reroute those receivers at the line of scrimmage, it takes a tick longer. for He's got to hold it longer, right? If we're physical and we're able to bump the, the receivers instead of giving them free releases and they can run dig routes all day, which is what they did, if we get up there and we're physical and bump them at the line of scrimmage – that takes him out of his, uh, you know, it takes him out of his rhythm. Mm-hmm. And it and so he's got to wait an extra tick. And we saw when we made him work a little bit and made him wait that extra second, we got to him. So that was my biggest issue with him, um, is he just kind of just set in that kind of zone. He did mix and match and play different looks and whatever, but it was still mostly off coverage. And I did – I just – I'm a look, I'm always been like this. I'm aggressive. If you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me being aggressive. I understand the mindset in that situation when you're ahead by so much that you're just like, "Okay, we're going to give them the short stuff and tap, but we weren't tackling, the effort was bad. They were completing and getting 15 to 20 yards almost every play." Yep.
1: I mean, oh, at Jason, some point he, You know he's what got to make re- a change. Absolutely, and you know what it kind of reminds me of what is another criticism we have of Frank Reich? being stubborn we have gotten on reich a lot for being stubborn you could say that Fluce was very stubborn in the second half of this game and also on top of that something that really bothers me is this wasn't a one o'clock game everybody's watching and i know it shouldn't matter but being on prime time to me, does change it. It does change it because everybody's watching. And it's more embarrassing. If you're singing in the shower, it doesn't matter how bad you are. If you get up on a stage and people are watching, it does matter how bad you are. You know what I'm saying? So that bothers me. It shouldn't. Statistically, it all gets filtered in the same way. The win is the win. Everything is the same. But to me, because the world is watching, because your game headlines... The morning shows on Friday across the country on ESPN. It does bother me.
0: Yeah, I get that. And and one thing I do want people to remember, and I'm not making excuses, but remember for both teams, really, it's a Thursday after a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So the play wasn't as crisp as I think it would normally be when you've got a full week of recovery.
1: That's more, no more credit. To- more credit to the Colts offense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. More credit to the Colts' offense; they were they were on point. Maybe they need to play every Thursday,
1: you know. But I mean, could the offense play every Thursday and the defense play every Sunday? I mean,
0: I just want our defense to get healthy, man. I I, I can't watch these safeties much longer. They're they're so bad. But I think part of the reason why he was doing what he was doing is he didn't want those guys getting exposed deep. And if you bring you know, you bring your safeties up and you bring the corners up and all that and you're aggressive, then you're giving up one play. Like it's like the the Bo Pete Keys touchdown in the Raven game. He he rolled him up and tried to press Hollywood Brown. He ran right past him yep. for eighty yards. It's like do you want to get beat, you know, death by a thousand cuts, or do you want to get beat on one play? I guess that yeah. was his thinking. But I mean, didn't they have the, one
1: I think they had a ninety nine yard touchdown drive against us, or at least ninety eight yards?
0: Who, the the Ravens? The Jets. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure they did.
1: I'm I sure think the did. drive where Isaiah Rodgers had the face mask penalty on third and 22, I'm pretty sure that drive started inside the three yard line and they went right down the field. We yeah. helped them along the way, we held their hand, but they went down the field and scored a touchdown.
0: Well, I mean, that's just bad defense. Yep. I mean, those penalties when it's like, and we had a couple of them against Tennessee and they killed us. You can't like when you get them in a punting situation and you jump off sides or you get a face mask or you hit the quarterback or, I mean, you can't have that, not this defense. It's not good enough to have those mistakes and make up for it because we lack that elite pass rusher. So there's no margin for error with these guys. And they've, they've continued to kind of make stupid mistakes. And again, you know, that goes back to coaching. So, I mean, I put most of this on floose, you know, it is what it is. I like the guy. I think he's a great coach, but I didn't think he did a very good job this week. And And he's got to be better for this team to get better. So I'm sure he's working at it and trying to figure out a way to make this thing and get and get this thing going for the rest of the season. But this was not I mean,
1: this was not a good week for him and it was not a good week for his defense. Absolutely Jason. but at the end of the day, we find a way to win. We score 45 points. We win by 15, and you know what that means. It's time for the For the Culture player of the game, and I think this one's obvious. I'm going with Jonathan Taylor. 19 carries, 172 yards, two touchdowns, and I saw this great stat because we all know Henry's the best, but Taylor's not too far behind, and they run Henry so much in that Titans offense. Right now, Jonathan Taylor is 79 carries behind Derrick Henry and only 116 yards behind him. So in 80 less carries, he has less than 120 less rushing yards than Derrick Henry. He's averaging 5.9 yards per carry. He has eight touchdowns. He's nearing 1,000 rushing yards already should hit it over the next two or three weeks. He's just so damn good. And like Darius Leonard and like Quinn Nelson, dare I say, in his very young, short, brief NFL career, he's off to a gold jacket start. He's been that good through his first 24, 25 games of his young NFL career. Got off to a slow start last year. Right around that Packer game, he started to wait that tick. And I remember talking about it last year on the podcast. He waited just a tick in that Packer game. And he's been off to the races ever since, had a 250-yard rushing game last year. I think that was week 17 against the Jags, what he's done this season. And the only reason his numbers aren't even better is because a lot of the time we're not giving him the ball in close games. We're not giving him the ball enough against the Titans because we're not balanced enough. In this game, he had 19 carries, could have had more if it was a close game, didn't need to because we were up by a comfortable amount and there was no reason to put that wear and tear on Jonathan Taylor, especially on a short week on Thursday. Now he has these 10 days. So next week, I expect a big performance again against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Jonathan Taylor, so damn good. So much fun to watch. He keeps getting better and better and better. He's one of the top picks Ballard's made as the Colts general manager in his tenure with Indianapolis. And Taylor, man, He's putting together a first-team All-Pro season, especially now that Henry's going to be out six to eight-plus weeks. I don't see anybody in front of Jonathan Taylor right now taking that award away from him. So right now, I know it's not about the individual. It's about the team, and it's about winning. And I'm glad we got a win in this game. But as far as Jonathan Taylor, my God, this guy keeps getting better and better and better. And he's fun to watch. It's like watching a college running back with the amount of, plays he busts open usually you don't see that in the NFL the way you see it in college but man it's carried over from Wisconsin to Indianapolis he keeps getting better without a doubt hands down my for the culture player of the game
0: that's a great pick and that's pretty much the guy everybody would pick and rightfully so he was I mean he's he's such an electric player and he's so fun to watch and the scary thing is he's, he's still getting better, which is just, I mean, that's scary to think about for the rest of the league, but I'm happy about it. Great pick, man. Uh, For me, I'm going to go outside the box. I've done this a couple of times. I think it went Zave, Xavier Rhodes a couple of weeks ago with, with the 49ers with that big pick this game. I'm, I'm going to give it to somebody that you would not expect. I'm giving it to the big man, Danny Penter, <laughs> touchdown catch. I feel like when when a big guy gets a touchdown, you should always give him some love. And uh, it was fun to see him get in the end zone. The guy couldn't stop smiling. And and actually, I was talking about this with somebody. That catch was not that easy. And the reason why I say that is usually if you've played football before, you know, um, when there's a play where you're wide open, sometimes those are the toughest plays. And, you know, he was wide open in the end zone. Nobody near him when I watched it initially, I thought Carson was going to short hop him. Luckily, you know, he, he, he leaned down and caught that like he was a catcher. And it was a great play. And I was happy to see him get in the end zone. And you know you're having a good game when you get the big man touchdown. Um, so great job by Danny uh, uh Definitely a memory he'll have for the rest of his life and one he'll be able to tell his grandkids about. And, and it was uh, fun to see. Um, definitely, a lot of, definitely a lot of good options for player of the game. I mean, Naheem was good. The, the O line was outstanding. And then, you know, JT was good. And then, of course, Carson was great. And Pittman was great. So a lot of choices, and I could have easily gone that way. But it's rare for the big guy to get in the end zone. So I had to show him some love. So for me, my for the culture player of the
1: game, Danny Pinter. It's a great selection. And let Danny Pinter represent the offensive line, even though he probably only played that one snap and maybe special team snaps on extra points or field goals. But. Did we kick field I think we picked the yeah, one. We did. So Pinter might be on like field goal protection, but for a guy who didn't play too many snaps, let him represent the offensive line because I picked a running back. It's tough to pick a running back without giving credit to the offensive line. As we saw from 2012 to 2017, it's difficult for running backs to rush for a hundred yards or 170 yards or whatever, 178 as the case in this game without protection from the big guys up front. So Absolutely, and Jason, we were talking a little bit about it off air with Jonathan Taylor in that 2020 draft class. First pick, you trade for DeForest Buckner, first team all-pro last year for you. In the second round, you get Pittman, you get Taylor. In the third round, you get Julian Blackman. Dare I say that the 2020 class could be argued to be better if you include the trade for DeForest Buckner, Then the 2018 draft class, two iconic classes in Indianapolis, two great draft classes in Indianapolis, but Buckner, Taylor, Pittman, Blackman at important positions too. That's a great draft class. 2018, incredible, legendary, two probably Hall of Famers in Nelson and Leonard. But again, in the 2020 draft class, Ballard might have one-upped himself.
0: Yeah, he, I mean, listen, those guys are, I mean, it's going to be fun to kind of after their careers are over, and I'm not trying to retire them already, but when you go back and you look at those two draft classes, it's going to be interesting to see who as more Pro Bowls. I would probably lean towards uh, the 2018 because Quentin's going to make it every year and Darius probably should make it most years as well. But I mean, Buck is going to make a lot of Pro Bowls. Taylor, this, he's definitely going to make the Pro Bowl this year. Pittman is probably I mean if he keeps playing like this Pittman will make it this year too he's been outstanding so I mean it's going to be interesting when you look back over these guys career and those two draft classes uh you know with Buckner included as as a even though it wasn't a draft pick a, the trade or whatever uh, it's gonna be interesting to see who, who accumulates more pro bowls and all pros and all that because those are two I mean and we're just talking about like the beginning of the draft I mean those are two really good drafts so I mean great drafts really so yeah man it's gonna be fun to watch and i mean taylor i mean i hate to use a chuck line luke
1: but the sky is the limit listen guys listen guys <laughs> the sky's the limit for jonathan and taylor man
0: <laughs> i mean it really is true i hate to use, i actually i like lose, using chuck cliches now that he's gone it's kind of funny but i mean it really is i mean for really all these guys i mean they're all ex- extremely talented guys and uh I mean, I'm excited to see what he's going to do this week against Jacksonville. We all remember right. what he did last year uh, when they when they came into uh, Lucas Oil in the last week of the yep. season. He just I mean, he basically got, got a couple us.
1: extra days rest too.
0: Yeah, I mean, he led us to the playoffs last year. Hopefully, he can do the same this year. Hopefully, Frank allows him to do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. Um, the offense in this game was was outstanding, and it gives us a lot of hope going forward. But the defense has to play better. I think they will going forward. But yeah, man, I mean, I'm just excited about. Uh, we got what eight games left yep. and uh we gotta win six of them I think so we'll see what
1: happens yeah and I would say two more losses is the max to make the playoffs if you go ten and seven you could get into the playoffs I'm not sure maybe it doesn't get you in but I think it could get you in if you go 11 and six you'll most likely get into the playoffs that gives you a really good puncher shot I think seven gives you kind of like an outside puncher's chance. 6 gives you a pretty good shot at getting in and then of course if you win out and you go 12 and 5 which is going to be very difficult because we have yet to beat a team over 500 and we have three really good ones coming up in the Bucks, the Bills and the Cardinals. I think obviously winning out puts you into the playoffs and you'd be beating a lot of teams head to head that could come down to tiebreakers and honestly 12 and 5 could win the division because who knows what happens now to the Titans without Derrick Henry. But take it one week at a time. Next week, Jacksonville Jaguars, Jonathan Taylor coming off that 250-yard game against the Jags last year. So we expect him to build upon not just the Jet game, but the Jag game. A couple extra days off coming off Thursday Night Football. So you have a little mini buy. We'll be back next week, guys. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. Enjoy football today without the Colts on, depending on when we upload this podcast. And we'll be back on Thursday with the game preview Colts Jaguars right here on the for the culture podcast.